Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. You know, the hardest thing about storytelling is figuring out where to start the story. And for this one, you almost have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the rumors and gossip of this miracle-working prophet, this rabbi who could speak into storms and the waves would come, who could speak into tombs and lives would come back from the dead, and who said towards the end on nearly every page that when you kill me, which is where this is headed, when you kill me, God will raise me back on the third day. And three days had gone by and there was no body. And suddenly his followers, who were scared to death during the crucifixion, who lived in hiding, they were cowards up until then, suddenly his followers were now emboldened to go to every authority they knew, the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities, and they were not scared anymore by the threat of death because the man they followed that they saw die was now alive. The rumors swirled. And they had this passion, this boldness to walk into authority and to say a four-part message all through the book of Acts. God sent him, you killed him, God raised him, now say you're sorry. And this escalated and escalated, and Jerusalem is becoming now a powder keg where just tensions are running high. And into this story, we see a man named Stephen who walks onto the pages of Scripture. And he says to the religious authority, he goes, you missed your shot at God. That God sent someone, but you're just as stubborn and as stiff-necked as your ancestors. And the men began to take up stones. And they laid down their garments and they threw these rocks at Stephen until he died. And the feet of the person that they laid their garments at, we are introduced to a man named Saul. He's a young upstart lawyer. He knows the books of the law by heart. He has no trouble keeping the commands, and he's looking for an opportunity to make a name for himself. And he realizes, as the people uh, destroy Stephen's life, that they're thirsty for more blood. They want to see more. And so he realizes, this is my opportunity. This is my shot. He goes to Damascus to secure some warrants to go persecute more Christians. And it's while he's on his way that Jesus appears to him. He apprehends him. He intercepts him and changes his name from Saul to Paul. Paul is now a Christian, but there's a problem. The Christians don't trust him. They think that he's undercover, and the, the Jews all think that, that he's a blasphemer, that he's changed teams, and so he's a marked man. He's not accepted by either side. He goes into hiding. Some say four years, others say seven years, and then a man named Barnabas, not his real name, his real name is Joseph, but he's so encouraging. They change his name to son of encouragement, Barnabas. He goes and he finds Paul and he brings him out of hiding. And he goes, we've got to go tell this story to the world. That God is for you. That God has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. We've got to go tell more people. And so they put together this idea of going on a missionary journey where they go into all the known world teaching this story, teaching this gospel. They see all sorts of crazy things. They are beaten. They are persecuted. They are shipwrecked. In one story, they are stoned to death. And Paul is brought back to life, and he stumbles back into this little home-based mission-sending church in Antioch. And he goes, man, things are crazy out there. We got to go back. We got to go tell more people. 
And it's at this point of the story where we're picking up this morning in Acts chapter 16. This story that Paul and Silas now are getting ready for their journey, their second missionary journey. Their intention is to go to Ephesus. They're going to go to this city called Ephesus from where they can set up a new home base to try to evangelize and reach Asia. And it's there that God intercepts them and he sends them in a different route. He sends them to a place called Philippi. And so they, 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 obediently follow God where he calls them to go. And Luke, who's taken notes of this whole journey, says this. He goes, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by her fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us. Circle, underline, highlight, us. This is a travel narrative. This is not just Bible. This is actual history that actually happened. She followed us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Suddenly, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. When suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Would you pray with me? God, this is a big passage to undertake this morning. So we pray you'll be our teacher. Speak, God. Soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Tommy. I'm one of the pastors here at Ocean View, but my wife's name is Hannah. She's amazing. And together we have these four extraordinary young kids named Benjamin, Eli, Anna Kate, and Grayson. I believe this picture captures all of their personalities. And on Thanksgiving morning this year, Eli went swimming in the ocean. He wasn't supposed to. In fact, I woke them up to take them fishing that morning. Both the boys was like, we're going to go. We're going to cast off from the shore. It's going to be fun. Eli, you can't get in the water. Eli has this thing where he's like, he's just drawn to the water. He can't be near the ocean. He can't be near the water and not get in it. There's just something compelling about it. And so I said, Eli, listen, it's 30 degrees out. The water might feel warm when you get in it compared to the wind chill. But when you get out, man, you're going to freeze. The whole trip will be over because I'm going to have to take you home. You can't get in. He's like, okay, okay, I'll try not to get in. 
before I even got a line in the water, I look over and my son is rolling around laughing, just having a good old time. And I looked down at that and I saw that, how happy he was and peaceful and playful. And it made me realize that I need a little bit more of that in my life. Because just 24 hours earlier, I found myself in a mechanic shop. (laughs) And that's never a good way to start a day. I have this uncanny ability to ignore and procrastinate and deny when my car is doing things that it shouldn't. And it had developed this new feature of the wheel shaking while you drive it. It just started to tremble, you know, and and I didn't want to deal with it. And so I would just grip the wheel tighter. And so when it started making noises, I'd crank the music up louder. I'm like, it's fine, you know. And then I would start, as it progressively got worse, I would arrive places feeling like a horse jockey, you know, just like, oh, I was exhausted. You know, I'd get out of the car like a cartoon character still shaking. Like, it's fine. Everything's okay. And the day before Thanksgiving, I went to the gym, and I'm leaving the gym, and I walk out to my car, and I notice that the tire's are shredding. I don't know a lot about cars, but I know that's not good. And I thought to myself, oh, that's, I should probably go to the shop. But I had somewhere to be. So I kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally that morning I got to the shop and I'm waiting there in their office while they tally up and assess my vehicle. And that's a bad feeling. Like it's that open-ended sort of fear where you're like, I know this isn't going to be good. Like I don't know what to expect, but it's not going to be good. It's the way you feel when you're like being pulled over and the cop's back with your license and registration in his car. And you're like, I don't know what's coming, but it's going to be bad. You know? It's that open-ended fear. Like when you're waiting to get on a roller coaster, I think that's the worst part about a roller coaster. Like when you're standing in line, you're like, oh, this is not going to be fun. Like this is going to be, when you're actually on the ride, you're too busy to be, you know, worried about it. But when you're waiting in line, I'm sitting there in that mechanic's office going, this is not going to be good. And I began to kind of look back over my life and go, this has gone off track somewhere. I just, I I encountered one of those, like just those depressing moments where you just kind of spiral downward into now my whole life is off track. Like I just felt so irresponsible because I realized Right now, I'm trying to keep two cars on the road, but I've got four kids coming behind me, and potentially one day in the near future, I'm going to have six that I'm trying to keep on the road. And then I started thinking about college funds, and then I started thinking about weddings, and then pretty soon I was just so overwhelmed that I was like, oh my goodness, like somewhere this went off track. Like maybe I should have chosen a different career before having such a large family. Like maybe I should have been a surgeon or a professional athlete or an astronaut, or maybe I should have won the lottery first. You know, I just started thinking all these thoughts while the guy's tallying up my bill. And I'm thinking, I'm stressing about the future and looking back over my past. And that had to have been how Paul and Silas felt. The Bible says once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Okay, pause for one second. Out of a feeling and spirit of love, I feel like I have to tell you this. Because there's some folks in this room who toy around with stuff like horoscopes and zodiacs and fortune telling and Ouija boards and psychics and stuff like that. And I just feel the need to tell you in a spirit of love as somebody who loves you, the Bible is very clear that you should be very careful with that stuff. The Bible never denies the existence of those things. It always says the author of it is not God. If you're toying around with that stuff, you need to be very careful. In this passage, Luke does not deny the existence of this. He says it is being informed by an unclean spirit. She earned a great deal of money 
for her owners by her fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, if you're Paul and Silas, I just want to bring you up to speed in the story. They had their intention of going to Ephesus. They were going to set up a new home base by which they were going to reach Asia for the gospel. God sends them to this city called Philippi. They meet a girl with an unclean spirit who begins trolling them and heckling them. And finally, Paul has it up to here with him. He says, get out of her. Cast the spirit out. Big miracle. No wonder we were sent here. Everybody's happy, right? Everybody in this situation should be happy, right? Everybody except a couple people. The narrative goes on. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Okay, pause. That is a false accusation. That is not what they had done at all. They had only been obedient. They had followed God into Philippi, and they they met this need that they saw so clearly in front of them. And it says the crowd then joins in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. They had only been following God. They had only been obedient. They had just been following what they were supposed to do. And suddenly they find themselves stripped and beaten with rods and then thrown into prison. And not just prison, but in the very center of the prison where they're put in stocks and bonds. Was anyone else spanked growing up? I mean, this sounds terrible. I thank God. I was raised by a little Italian lady who I'm so thankful for the way that she raised me. To this day, I say sir and ma'am to everybody. People younger than me, people older than me, I get mocked and laughed at for how much I respect people when I'm talking to them. But it's because of the way I was raised. She raised me that way. And if I was ever disrespectful, this thing would happen with my little Italian mom where with her left hand, she would bend me over something. And her right hand would go searching for something with which to beat me. Because she certainly wasn't going to use her hand. I remember one time it stumbled on a bungee cord. A bungee cord! I don't know how she found a bungee cord. It's like, whack, 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 whack. And I remember specifically thinking to myself, am I getting spanked with a bungee cord? This is weird. As I got a little bit older, I got a wallet. I remember thinking to myself, oh, this will come in handy. The next time that I got bent over, I was like, tuck that wallet right in the pocket, you know. And I have this terrible problem where I'm not able to make my face not match what I'm feeling on the inside. So she's spanking me and, and is not really making it through. And this feeling of delight came over me that my plan worked. And so I smiled And the smile flashed onto my face, right? And she sees it and she realizes what's going on. And then she she stripped and beat me like the same way as Paul and Silas. They were stripped and beaten and then thrown into jail. So literally they're lost, alone, helpless, and hopeless. 
And they must be thinking to themselves, why am I even here, God? I was only listening to you. I was doing the right thing. Like, I didn't earn this. This isn't just. This isn't fair. Why am I naked, alone, beaten, bleeding, and imprisoned, sitting in a jail cell? For many of us, that's where we find ourselves today. If we're honest with ourselves. We live at the intersection of future and past in an in-between space called now. Where for many of us, now is a jail cell we are sitting in where we spend all of our time preoccupied by the past or worried about the future. And for many of us, this all comes together on New Year's, doesn't it? As we take inventory of our lives and this culture, this world we live in says you should set some goals for yourself. Analyze where you are and set some goals. Some of us can get frozen in this in-between jail cell like Paul and Silas. They're sitting there. They're lost. They're alone. They're scared. They're frightened. They're beaten. They're bleeding. They're in prison. They're in stocks and bombs. And what do they choose to do? The Bible tells us. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Singing? Wait, wait, wait. You're naked, bleeding, beaten, and sitting in a jail cell, and you're singing? Like, if anybody had a right to be preoccupied by the past, like, God, I shouldn't even be here. I was only listening to you. They could be bitter about their past or stressed out and worried about their future because they were probably going to die. The Roman government didn't put people in prison to punish them. The Roman government put people in prison to kill them, and they just hadn't gotten around to killing them yet. So they had every reason to be stressed out about the future or, or worried about the past. They find themselves in this jail cell, and they... They sing. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, author Brennan Manning tells this humorous but thought-provoking story about a monk who was chased by a tiger. It says, the monk raced to the edge of a cliff, glanced backwards and saw the growling tiger about to spring. The monk spotted a rope dangling over the edge of the cliff. He grabbed it and began shimmying down the side of the cliff out of the clutches of the tiger. Whew! Narrow escape. The monk then looked down and saw a quarry of jagged rocks 500 feet below. He looked up and he saw the tiger posed above the cliff with claws out. Just then, two mice began to nibble at the rope. What to do? The monk looked and saw a strawberry within arm's reach. It was growing out of the face of the cliff. He plucked it, he ate it, and he exclaimed, Yum! That's the best strawberry I've ever eaten in my entire life. The end. I remember reading that and being like, that's not a story. Like, what, this, this, this isn't even a story. And it's not. It's a terrible story. But it has a deep meaning. If the monk had been worried about the rock below, which is the future, where he was headed, or the tiger above, which is the past, he would have missed entirely the strawberry right in front of him. He would have missed the miracle of the moment he was in. And many of us, God is calling to not today miss the miracle of now. Paul and Silas are sitting there. They could have been worried about the future or bitter about the past. And instead they choose to embrace now. They chose to sing. To sing. 
Did you know that the command to sing is the most repeated command in the Bible? And I figure if you find a command that easy to obey, you might as well do it all the time because obedience is really what God is after, isn't he? Our obedience. Not these big grand views we have for our life, but our daily one foot in front of the other, moment by moment, day by day, simple obedience. Being faithful with the day that you're in, obedient with the day that you're in. I remember reading these stories growing up of the heroes of the faith and how much I just wanted to be like them. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that those guys weren't doing anything at all but being faithful to the day that they were in. Joseph in Genesis didn't end up second in command over Egypt because he had some special set of instructions from God on how to go from being dad's favorite to second in command. What Joseph did have were 11 jealous brothers, the attention of a loose and vengeful woman, and the ability to be faithful no matter what. That's all he did. Day by day, one foot in front of the other, obedience. David didn't kill Goliath because he woke up one morning with a special set of instructions by God on how to go out and slay giants. What David had was a father who sent him to deliver sandwiches to his brothers. And Goliath got in the way. Day by day, one foot in front of the other, obedience. Say it another way, stop living in tomorrow. Just simply be present today. Just be obedient with the moment that you're in. I mean, I look at Joseph's life. I look at David's life. I look at Moses. You know, in Exodus 24, God calls Moses up on the mountain with them. He says, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I read that and I'm like, uh, that had to be confusing as Moses, like be there. That seems redundant. Like, where else would I be? If I went up on the mountain, where else would I be? But the verb there, be there, is the Hebrew word hayah, which means to abide, to remain, to be fully present. And I realized that by the time a 120-year-old Moses climbs up the side of a mountain, when he gets to the top to be with God, he's going to be distracted and thinking about one thing. How in the world am I going to get back down this mountain? So God has to say to him, come up on the mountain, and just be there. Just, Moses, can you just be there? Can you just be present? Can you just absorb this? Can you just take this in? Can you just enjoy the miracle of this moment that we're in right now? Just be fully alert, fully aware, fully there, fully present. We can become so distracted by our past or so anxious about the future that we miss the miracle of the moment that we're in right now. And with the miracle of the moment that we're in right now, we're all called to one thing, and that is to obey. And I love how the story shows this. It's something I tell the students all the time, that obedience now equals freedom later. When you're obedient with the day and the hour that you're in, it brings, it brings freedom later. We live in a culture that says if you, if you ascribe to following God, if you choose to follow God, you miss out on all these fun things. You become a slave to God. It's like, wow, we've got that so backwards. Obedience brings freedom. When you're following the author of life and you're living the way that he's called you to live, you don't end up a slave to all those sinful behaviors that other people do. It brings obedience. Obedience now brings freedom 
later. And we see this in the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. They're leaning in because it looks different when people are living the way God's called them to live. Suddenly, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. I believe that when we choose to obey in the present, there are still some chains that are going to break loose and some doors that are going to fly open. Because obedience now equals freedom later. And the now is the big part, man. The now. So many of us, we live our lives in seasons where we view the season that we're in as not being the one where we need to do the things God has called us to do, right? When I was in middle school, I kept thinking about how when I got to high school, I was going to live for Jesus. I was going to be on fire for Jesus. When I was in high school, I kept thinking about when I would get to college and I would live for Jesus and be on fire for Jesus. When I was in college, I would think about when I would be an adult and I would have a family and I'd be raising kids and how that day I would be on fire for Jesus. I'd be living for Jesus. And I realized always the season I'm in doesn't seem like the right one for the changes that need to be made now. Can we embrace now? Just be faithful now? Middle school students, you don't have to wait for tomorrow. You don't have to put it off. Man, you can live for Jesus now. You can choose to prioritize your time with him every day now. I remember that realization as a middle schooler. It dawned on me. It was like, wow, I, tomorrow's never going to come. I have now. I'm not promised tomorrow. High schoolers, you don't have to wait till college. You don't have to wait till you're an adult. When I was in college, I kept thinking, man, when I get called into ministry, if I get called into ministry, and then somebody challenged me, we have got to stop using the expression called into ministry unless we are speaking about the day we gave our lives to Jesus. We are all called into ministry now. And guess what? that translates into a life lived for him. The person you are today, this is the testimony of scripture. This is biblical wisdom. If you want a definition of wisdom in the Bible, wisdom is this, realizing that the person you are today is the result of the choices you made yesterday. And the person you'll be tomorrow is a result of the choices you made today. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus calls somebody a fool. The literal word is aphone, aphrone. It literally means no, ah is a negative particle, and then perspective, somebody who lacks perspective. A fool is someone that doesn't understand that life is connected. A fool doesn't understand that the person they'll be tomorrow is a result of the choices they make today and that the person they are today is a result of the choices they made yesterday. A, a fool doesn't understand any of that. Wisdom understands that. And man, when you're faithful today, it translates into tomorrow. And we can get so caught up as a culture on setting those goals for tomorrow that we forget to be faithful today. And gosh, I just wanted to bring everybody in the room and just kind of go, man, what if we all just live today for Jesus? What if we were all just faithful today? We still make plans for the future. Make your plans, but make them in pencil. Set some goals, but set them in pencil and be faithful today. Because those plans could change. Paul and Silas were on their way to Ephesus by which they were going to go to Asia and they end up naked in a prison. Those plans can change. Be faithful today. Many of us, when we come to Jesus, it's like we want to know all the details he has for our life and then maybe we'll surrender to him. And I had this professor in seminary once who, who talked about it like a contract. And he goes, he goes, man, when you give your life to Jesus, 
It's like you're given a contract and the bottom line is yours to sign. But he doesn't fill in that top part until you sign the bottom. In God's taxonomy, we sign our contracts before he fills in his details. He may call you to something else. You never know. He wants you to be more surrendered to him than even to yourself. Because in his taxonomy, we must be more committed to his will than we are even to our own. And here's the good news about this. Pastor Terry taught this last week, that God's dreams and his plans for your life are bigger than your own. You can trust him with it. You don't have to be worried about what he might call you to. It's going to be good. Romans 12, 2 says his perfect, pleasing, good will for you. He calls it good, pleasing, perfect. We need to stop saying stupid expressions like, I need to give God control of your life. Man, he has control of your life. He could stop my heart at this second if he wanted to. I don't need to give him control of my life. I need to surrender to him the control he already has. Sign the line. All right, God, what do you want from me? And until I'm doing that, I'm living just like that car I told you about in the very beginning. He's trying to jerk and pitch me off the road while I'm driving it. And God's just sitting behind the wheel going, man, would you just surrender? Would you just lay down? We don't give God control of our lives. We surrender to him the control he already has. Man, that's the way I want to live this year. Because you're not promised tomorrow. And yesterday is gone. So you can spend all your time stressed out about tomorrow or dwelling on and bitter about the past. But what you do have is right now. And biblically, what you have is not nearly as important as what you do with what you have. You are not promised tomorrow. And you cannot change the past. What everybody collectively in this room and watching online, what all of us have in this moment right now, all of us have this in common. All of us have now. That's all we have. That's all we have is right now. So what will you do with right now? I love the way this story ends. Luke takes up the narrative in verse 27. He says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You and your whole household. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Salvation is not complicated. It's not easy all the time. But it's certainly not complicated. God has done everything necessary to get to you. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So Paul and Silas, naked, beaten, and bleeding in a prison, singing out to God, doors bust open, chains come loose, and a guy becomes a Christian as a result of it. Because it looks so different when followers of Jesus live the way Jesus has called them to. 
it makes people lean in and go, wow, that's weird and different, and I want some of that. You guys have no idea what hangs in the balance when you choose to embrace the power of the present. You have no idea. Paul had no idea. Here's what I love about this story. Sorry. Here's what I love about this story. I want you to imagine Paul at the end of his life, looking back over his life, under house arrest, in Rome, looking back over his life, and he writes a letter. And in this letter, he includes such famous Christian phrases that over the years we have printed and put on coffee mugs and T-shirts and everywhere else that people will buy them. Phrases like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That absent from the body is present with the Lord. That we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, such famous Christian phrases, I can do all things through who strengthens me, right? Forgetting what is behind, taking hold of what is ahead. I press on to take hold of the prize. None of those phrases would exist if Paul had not written a book to the Philippians, a letter to the Philippians, a church that was planted, that was started because he ended up beaten and bleeding, sitting in the middle of a Philippian prison. That guard who came to Jesus ended up being the first convert in Philippi. And suddenly at the end of Paul's life, there is a church there. And Philippians would not be in your Bible had Paul not embraced the power of the moment he was in. Paul was obedient with the now. And because of that, we have the book of Philippians. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. This year, as we set our goals, you set them in pencil. That's important. Don't get me wrong. It's important. But man, don't wait for, to get out of the season that you're in. Parents, so often we look at parenthood, we're like, I had my dreams and my visions and my aspirations for my life. And then I had kids. And so I'm kind of on a brief timeout. And once I get them raised and out the door, then I'll get back to that. And I go, wow, what if instead of viewing them as a distraction, what if you just embraced the season that you're in? You're like, well, I just want to be the best parent I can be now. Students, what if you stop putting off living for Jesus until then and there, and you just kind of went, oh, I'm going to do it now with all my might. I'm going to embrace now. What would that look like? Eli got out of the ocean that morning. And he stood in front of me just shaking. <laughs> Little droplets and beads of water coming off of the curly red hair in front of his face. And I'm drying him off with a towel and I'm like, Eli, why did you get in? I told you not to get in. He goes, I know, Dad. It just felt wrong not to. And I realized then and there that that's how I want to live my life. A few boundaries are good. A few goals benchmarks but to be so alive in the moment that I don't miss an opportunity 
that missing an opportunity would just feel wrong. Eli taught me a lot about how it means to live for Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. Making the most out of the moment you're in. Will you pray with me? God, on this eve before 2019, as 2018 draws to a close, and we have this, this moment of time, this space in between called now, called the present. God, would you help all of us as we make our goals, as we set our resolutions, to set them in pencil and to be faithful with the moment, minute by minute, day by day, one foot in front of the other. May we be obedient to you with the moment we're in. Father, just help us to do that, to prioritize the right things, to maximize the role that we play, the season that we're in, to be faithful to you and to use our lives that way to point to you. We love you, Jesus. We do pray your blessings over an awesome, awesome 2019. And thank you for 2018. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.